Well, let's begin again in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Again, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Always thank you. You are so gracious and kind, and we are so, Lord, fraught with many weaknesses. And the sin of unbelief, Lord, is at the, uh, the root of all of them. Oh God, why would anyone have reason to disbelieve you? You have done all things well, not one of your good words that all the good words you have spoken has fallen to the ground undone. So Lord, help these men who are listening today, help me to live a life of faith, a life of faith. And help us in this session, Lord, that you would be honored with our lives as we grow into greater and greater reflections of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, he tells us to be an example to the other believers with regard to faith. Now, um, we're going to look at another passage here in just a moment that um, is so important for today. As a matter of fact, the next two passages. We live in a time of trouble. Borrowing from Dickens, we could say maybe these are the, the worst of times. These are the best of times in in first century darkness, we have a chance to live like first century Christians. It seems like the world is on the brink of war, possibly economic hardship or even collapse. Governments seem to be working together to uh, subjugate a people. There is a lot of fear, a lot of fear. Now, I want to tell you something. As a leader, you know, everybody wants to be a leader. As a leader, you do not have the luxury of fear. Do you hear me? You do not have the luxury of unbelief. You do not have the luxury of anxiety. If you're a leader in the church, if you're a leader to a woman, if you're a leader to children, then let me tell you something. Bear your burden alone and do not put it on them. One of the greatest detriments to a healthy testimony is anxiety, trembling, fear to the point of paralysis. And the only way you can overcome that is through the word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And also, I find that my courage is strengthened by the flame of other men's courage. It's helpful in this matter to read biographies of men who have believed God and it has gone well with them. Not that they had ease of life, but they triumphed even in death. 
So, I want us to look at another passage regarding faith. And it's in Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This does not mean that men are not to work. They're not to strive. That doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that you're not to be worried about it. You are to do due diligence. You are to seek out these things, but you're not to worry about it. Because you believe that your life is placed firmly in the hand of God. And this is extremely, extremely important. And what I want you to see is that we must be men who work. We must be men who confront problems and find wise solutions. We must strive to fix things, obtain things. We must labor to live. Yet at the same time, there's no room for anxiety. Now, I'm giving you a strong admonition in this because this has been one of my, if for lack of a better phrase, Achilles heel. I have gone forward many times with the Lord. I have risked many things with the Lord. But I've been burdened too often by anxiety, which is a lack of trust. It is a fear, which is the opposite of faith. And I am I am convinced that the aging on my face and the brokenness in my body, at least in part, has been due to not trusting God as I should have trusted God. I have gone through many trials and he has not kept me from suffering. But he has delivered me through them all. And for that, he's worthy of our trust. And courage is important, but nothing excels trust. Now, he says, do not, he says, for this reason, I say, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He is hitting directly at what most people are concerned about. Even most people in your church are concerned about. They're concerned about where they're going to live, what they're going to eat, how they're going to clothe themselves. They listen to the news and they're filled with fear. And even though you need to teach the biblical principles of responsibility and labor and principles of finance, most of all, you need to show them the faithfulness of God, that they would lay aside not their labor, but anxiety. Now, he gives us an example in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. That they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Now, some people have taken this text and twisted it to say that we're not to sow, we're not to reap, we're not to gather into barns. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there are creatures who do none of that. They make no preparation at all. And yet God still cares for them. 
But as men, we are called upon to work. And here's what I want you to see. Working is not a result of the fall. Adam was to work before the fall. You should never teach your children, thank God it's Friday. You should teach them, thank God it's Monday. We were made to work. So if he takes care of animals that have no intellect, no sense of a future need, who do not sow, they do not plow, they do not harvest, they do not store up for themselves according to wisdom, and yet God takes care of them, then how much more will he take care of us in all our appropriate endeavors? He will take care of you. Now, I want to share something with you that I think is very, very important. When Job was suffering, his friends told him, God will take care of the righteous. God will take care of the righteous. He will not abandon the righteous, Job. God will take care of the righteous. And Job's saying, yes, I know that. But when I look in the mirror, I'm not righteous. So does that mean he won't take care of me? And then just a few lines further, Job talks, oh, if there was only a mediator. And here's what I want you to see. If you have a sensitive conscience, you read the Bible and you understand God takes care of the righteous. But you look in the mirror and say, I have failed him in so many ways. Yes, that's true. But he doesn't just take care of those who are perfect for none are perfect. He takes care of his people even when they're not perfect because his people have a mediator before him. He not only saved David when David was acting righteously. He saved David from consequences at times, deadly consequences, even when David's actions were the reason why he was suffering those consequences. And what I want you to see is this. If you're believing God, if you're seeking to follow him, if you're renewing your mind in the word of God, in spite of all your failures, in spite of all your ignorance, in spite of even sin, he is still your deliverer. He is still the one who cares for you. Because he's done this entire thing, not so that you could demonstrate your virtue or your power. He's done this thing that he's done to demonstrate his own virtue and power by saving those who do not deserve to be saved and cannot save themselves. Look at your own children. How many of them are actually productive? I'm talking about your little children. How do they contribute to the household? They don't. They take away. Are they perfect in their morality and their manners? Absolutely not. Would you give your life for them? Absolutely. If you can love your children that way, then how much more does God love you? Does God love his people? You see, you need to tell God's people about his love about his purpose in saving them so that when they're faced with difficult times, and I do believe that difficult times are on the horizon, they will be strong. Not because they look in the mirror and find someone perfect, but because they look in the word of God and they find God 
a faithful God. And you need to present this kind of God to them so that they can be strong. And you must study this God so that you can be an example of what it means to believe God and to go through the fire without anxiety, without fear. For, and he says, he says, are you not worth much more than these? He did not shed his blood for birds. Your worth has already been determined. He bought you with a price. And that price was his own blood. Therefore, you can walk by faith. You, you can believe him. You can trust in all those promises that you think are too good for you. Verse 27. And who of you by being worried can add, add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Then he goes on. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, it comes down to faith. Anxiety is destroyed by faith. Fear is destroyed by faith. And he's saying, look, I clothe grass. I clothe flowers. I feed birds. What would you think about me if I had a pet hamster? And I bathed it and fed it and guarded it while I allowed my children to go filthy and unbathed, uncared for and unfed, suffering malnutrition. You would think that I was a monster. You would rightly call social services. And, and Jesus is saying that he's saying, take a look. He sustains everything by a word. He even sustains the wicked. He's good, it says, to the evil and the righteous. He gives rain. See, it's studying these things. And I know, brethren, listen to me. It sounds too good to be true. That God could love us this much. That God could care for us. When we look in the mirror, or at least I look in the mirror of God's word, and I see so many sins, so many reasons for him not to do any of this for me. But the fact is, I've been purchased, I've been washed, I've been adopted. And so have you. And your people need to see this in you. And you need to preach it to them in the word. He says in 31, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? Now. Again. The West. People in the West. Listen to me very carefully, have become entitled, many of them, and just flat out lazy. This text does not promote that. 
It does not promote entitlement nor laziness because Paul will go on to say, if a man does not work who is able-bodied, then he doesn't eat. But what it's saying is, for those who labor and are worried, full of anxiety, their joy is killed. He's saying, stop it. Verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows what you knows that you need all these things. Now, look, this is really amazing. He says, for the Gentiles seek all these things. And then he says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. We would think that he would say the Gentiles seek all these things, but God doesn't seek the same things Gentiles seek. And you shouldn't seek the same things Gentiles. That's not what he's saying. The Gentiles seek for certain things. Food. Shelter. Clothing. The essentials of life. Gentiles seek for the essentials of life. And they have to do it on their own. But your father seeks. For the essentials of life for you. And will provide them. And therefore, the difference between you and the Gentiles is they have anxiety. And they do not have a heavenly father. You have a heavenly father and should work. But without anxiety. You see, if I would just taken that text in first Timothy and said faith and left it at that. We would have got to none of this. I am so tired of sermons being preached that mention things that don't explain them so they have no impact whatsoever on God's people. You see, you're to be an example of what we studied in Joshua and what we're studying here. You not only need to teach it, but there needs to be an example of it in your life. And I'm saying this as, as an older man, because I have struggled in this area. And I feel like many times I have done damage to others because they have seen me so filled with misery and anxiety. You know, used to, we'd always hear these sermons, you know, the Bible talks about joy and not happiness. Well, I don't think we really need to be making those kind of distinctions. A joyful person. A happy person. There's an old song, uh, an old hymn. It says, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. And, and one man told I read one man saying, and this man was, I would consider him a very strict legalist. So when he says what he says about this matter, you, you need to listen to him. He said that he had studied families for decades and tried to come to a conclusion. What was the common element or elements in solid, good, healthy families? And do you know what he came to the conclusion? He concluded that it was the joy, happiness of the father. 
Isn't that amazing? You say, well, I don't know if that's biblical. Okay. Fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. If the order is any sign of importance, joy is pretty important. I mean, we know love is first and foremost. It's amazing. He didn't say love, holiness, righteousness, discipline. He said joy. But many times it's our unbelief, brothers, that kills our joy. It's our unbelief that stops our joy. Now, he goes on. And he says this. Oh, well, let's look a little bit more at 32. Your father knows what you that you need all these things. You know, one of the most comforting prayers I ever pray. And uh, when I used to live in the log cabin out in the woods, we had a window that looked out. Sometimes it would catch the reflection of the moon. And at night when I was couldn't sleep because of worry or anxiety. I always remember getting on my knees and just looking out that window, seeing the forest bathed in moonlight. And the only thing I would pray is this. You know. You know. To know that he knows not just every need, every problem, every fear, every anxiety, you know. And he knows what we need. I have been through trials that, oh my, if you had asked my opinion, I would have avoided them like the plague. But he knows exactly what we need. He knows. And that should be the greatest comfort and the thing that most removes anxiety from you. He knows. He knows. Now, goes on. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom. What does that mean? First of all, the entering into that kingdom. The most important thing is that you have entered in. There are ministers who have not entered into the kingdom. They're unconverted. He said the, the gate is small, the way is narrow. He talks about those who press in to the kingdom. Your greatest concern should not be a span of maybe 75 years. Your greatest concern is when you draw your dying breath. Will you enter in for eternity? And that right there should be enough. Just the knowledge that we're saved. This life passes so quickly. So if we're going to concern ourselves about something, let it be entering into the kingdom and then serving the kingdom, expanding the kingdom, bringing others into the kingdom, promoting the kingdom, strengthening the kingdom, everything about the kingdom, everything about the kingdom. 
When I look at uh, the founding fathers of this country, uh, it's a motivation at times and it brings a great sadness at times. I realize that there were men of great intellect and great virtue and great courage who gave their life, some of them on the battlefield, fighting for the independence of a country and a dream, a new idea, a democracy, a republic. And yet now more than two centuries have passed and this country has become a source of harlotry and perversion and war and so many things. So these great men took their great virtue and their great gifts to build a country that is now falling apart with the rest of the West. But you and I, even though we have not great virtue or great intellect, we have a king that is incorruptible and eternal and a kingdom that is incorruptible and eternal. Concern yourself with the kingdom, gentlemen. But never forget your family is part of that kingdom. But concern yourself with the kingdom. Be a kingdom man. Be a soldier for Christ. These are war times. Men live differently during war. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You can only be useful in the kingdom as you grow in righteousness, as you are conformed more and more to the image of Christ. It is a righteous man that is useful. I have seen my share of great intellects. I have seen my share of great and eloquent expositors, but I'll never see enough of righteous men. I have seen so many well-studied and brilliant men that literally were useless to the kingdom because they weren't righteous men. It's to be righteous. It's to flee from immorality. It's to come out and be separate. This is what you should concern yourself about. Do not worry about what presidents are doing, congresses are doing, and parliaments are doing, and dictators are doing. Don't worry about liars and knaves. Seek first the kingdom and its expansion, its growth, its benefit. And he says, basically in 33, and I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Just be driven by these things. And again, what is required here? Faith. Verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Concentrate. And one of the things that anxiety does is it bewilders so that you cannot concentrate on the job at hand. And I know it's hard, but I can tell you this, it's it's more possible when you're a man who meditates upon God's word, a man like Joshua, day and night. 
meditating on God's word. All right, well, let's uh, let's close in prayer. And if you're able, I would like to do one more. If you're able, so let's uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would use it in the life of your men. Strengthen them, O God, strengthen them, help them. God, as you know, our weaknesses. Strengthen us, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen.